This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Forest. I'm your host, Cameron Lemons-Debro. It's been a few weeks since I've done an episode. It's the summer. I've been trying to lay low, rejuvenate before the fall. Hope you guys have been able to get some traveling in, spend some time with your family. So I originally had planned to do an interview today and then in the back half of the episode, take some questions from the mailbag that we do over at DeaconDeaconDigest.com if you're not over there. If you are over there, not a VIP member, I'll do this probably once every couple of weeks during the summer. And then I'll make sure to have some, some of the mailbag stuff come back during the season. But when I looked at the mailbag, there were a lot more questions than I anticipated so the interview that I had planned will go up later this week, probably Wednesday or Thursday. And this one's going to be all about just the questions you guys have had during the summer. So I'm going to split things up into two sections, football, basketball, just so I'm not bouncing back and forth and forgetful of people. Hope you guys understand. Hope this format works. So to kick things off, we'll start on the football side of things. Question number one was Jacob Cosby Mosley. Is he a take right now? What's going on with him? So with a question like this and scholarships in general, I have to be super, super careful not to like break confidentiality or anything, but it's always just scholarships, people's lives. I have been very, very clear that there is not a lot of room in the 2024 class for Wake Forest, for Wake Forest football. Yeah, Wake Forest basketball too. But for Wake Forest football, they do not have a lot coming off the books this this season. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight names that I have that are slated to come off. And I think there's a couple of other names that are probably, I think this is probably a guy like Michael Kearns last, last season. Maybe it's not, who knows? But I mean, I think this might be his final season just to move on to next feature of his life. And then definitely a couple of names here and there that could possibly end up in the portal, move on, et cetera. There's not a whole lot of room right now. And so he is a take and he, I have not moved off of that. There is, it is very tight, even with the Jaff decommitment. But I think that what's happening right now is he and I, I've talked to him after his official visit. He's trying to bet on himself. He's someone that I think is really the type of prospect that gets a little bit overlooked when it comes to the age of the portal win we're in, because he's not someone that's going to, I don't think he's someone that's going to absolutely blow up and, you know, be this full on four or five star that just shoots at the ranking. But I think he's someone that could benefit with a little bit more tape. And he's a little bit of a tweener from both a speed perspective, size perspective. And it's someone that if the portal wasn't there, he'd definitely be a get, he'd definitely have a lot more offers. 
But I think right now when you're still, you can get people out of the portal. A lot of schools like Wake are a little bit flawed. And so they're not wanting to spend a scholarship on someone that's not going to leave for a few years. It's tough, but I think he's just going to take the fall to, he is a take. He's going to take the fall to just really see what he can do. And we're going to go from there. If someone else happens to decommit, who would it be? I love these questions. These questions are fantastic. So I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to do a lot of that this episode, I feel like. And I'm going to name three names. Not because I think these three, because I, I, I don't want to just single someone out, even though I don't think that there is one person that I think is definitely like, hey, watch out for this guy. Jeff is obviously one. And I'm like, I got raised. Don't think there's anyone like that in the class right now, but I'll give three names that I'm keeping my eye on as things progress. One will be Darius Jones. He is a linebacker from St. Francis Academy up in Baltimore. The reasoning behind him is I have heard and seen there has been some significant growth in his physical profile. It's listed at 6'1", 205. I think he was a little bit probably closer to six foot 200 or so. He looks a little closer to 6'2 now and a solid 6'10, 6'15, I mean, 210, 215. In the weight department, it looks like he's gained a considerable amount of muscle. If he's that, if he's 6'2, 215, 220, there are some people hitting him up. And it's not from a perspective where I think he's looking for, for different offers. It's from a perspective of I think people are going to come like, hey, like he was, he was already a very solid player. It's just I don't think he grew between his sophomore and junior year, like people thought he would. And that happens. But I've, now that there has been some significant growth, I think there would be people kind of circling back on him. And especially when he plays at a school like St. Francis that plays, that there's a bunch of just top-end D1 talent on, on his team, and they play the best teams in the country, there's going to be eyes on him. So if he does pop off, it's going to be one to go, oh, hey, what's, what's going on here? Second would be Ben Grice, a wide receiver out of Woodward Academy. So Ben is an interesting prospect in general. He is a former Delaware lacrosse commit, then started picking up football, played last year for Woodward Academy, and popped off. <laughs> He's got great speed. He's elusive. He plays at a, on a pretty high-level football uh, that will replace pretty good competition and did everything you would like to see out of a kid that's been playing for four or five years. He's someone that before he announced this commitment, he was a silent for about a month or so. And it never gave you the warm fuzzies when someone's a, someone's a silent and then they take a long time to commit. But during that time, he would announce other offers he was getting. And, and the thing is, I don't think there's anything malicious. There. I don't think he was being like, Oh, well, I'm trying to leverage this, but I mean, the kid was getting offers from Michigan and Stanford and Texas A&M, Colorado. And that's just from who he reported offers from Louisville. He definitely was talking to other schools. And I think with a, and this is with a solid season, I think there was something that was said when he committed during his scouting report was that if he has another solid season, like that people are pretty intrigued on him. And the big thing about him right now is that no one else has any other verified information on him, which is the, which is the hard thing about it when you're rating somebody is if you don't have like verified hype and verified 
40 times just anything else, it's hard to be like move them up in the rankings. But the fact that he's a multi-sport guy, he's going to play at a pretty good lacrosse school, seems great. I think he's a solid six foot. If we can, you can get some verified to see if he's maybe six one or so and get some actual speed times on him. He should be a four star by the end of it. So I think it's going to be another one of those wide receivers that wakes up and be like, hey, man, everyone's trying to come in late to find this wide receiver. Wake Forest found out of nowhere. So, but I think, I think it'll be fine, but he's definitely someone I'll keep my eye on. Last would be Miles Turpin. I have been very, I am very, very, very high on Miles Turpin. He's a safety at Stonebridge in Ashburn, Virginia. This kid just screams just one of the best athletes. I think they, the thing is with a guy like him is I'm pretty sure they saw Malik the last few years and said, we don't want to do that again <laughs> in a sense of we don't want this kid to go down to a lower level and then have to fight to bring him back up. And I remember when Malik got in the portal and they got a quick commitment out of him because I mean, he always really wanted to go to Wake. And But you, you had Louisville coming after him, you had a couple other schools starting to come after him, and Ray was like, eh, I don't think Wake really wants to go, go after that again. Turpin is a freaky athlete. Like I know he uh, played at a West Virginia 77 tournament a few weeks ago, and everyone there was like, even the, co- the coaches and the, and the writers were like, whoa, whoa who is this guy? He he's a freak athlete. And if, if he was an inch taller, he's 5'11. If he was in like an if he was six foot or six one, four full on four star, people are banging down the doors to get him. And you know, that's that's something that I know people are like good. I think with a good in a good, what do you call it? In a with another good season, I think he'll be just people will decide, hey, that size might be a little, uh, we won't care about that size. As much. I don't know if he'll get an immense amount of those, but it'll be one that he's, he'll, people will circle back around. And I think he's going to have a great season. Kick and dunk. He can fly around the field. He's, he's nice. Like that kid is nice. When is football practice? And I'm going to kind of like try to rapid fire some of these. Some of these I'm going to not. So with football practice, I have not been given an exact time, but or exact date, rather. Season starts on a Thursday, it was that August 31st. It just on a math perspective there, I would assume camp starts August 1st or August 2nd. I, and by expect, I mean, I would place a lot of money. It's one of those two days. So around then, we still got a, a month or so before we get there. So, but we're coming right up on it. Mitch Griffiths, Money Mitch. I really want one of those shirts that he has on his on his store. But so I talked about this a little bit when I wrote. I'm uh, starting to do QB pro, like primers for each one of the positions, and I started with the quarterback because. And I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that this dude ends up on a like a top ten single season season passing like like season for him. I, I think that's. A Wake Forest hasn't had that many people that are around that three thousand mark, but I think it's a. I the meet the median for him is probably around twenty nine hundred yards through the air. So I think a success would be, and I don't I don't like QB wins. I think QB wins are terrible. I've had a backup quarterback bring the Eagles to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. 
QB wins. And I would not take Nick Foles over, you know, like a Jalen Hurts right now. I think QB wins are terrible. I think a successful season for Mitch would be about 3,000 yards, a little bit over that. Probably a three to one or four to one ratio in turn, probably four to one ratio of turnovers of, inter- of touchdowns, interceptions. And more so, I just, I don't really care about how much he wins. Obviously, I would like him to win seven, eight, nine, ten games. I, I would like him to win the CFP. But I'm really on the thought process of I want to see him have the command of the offense that I saw during the spring game, excuse me, that I saw during the BMI game, that I saw during spring practice. That's what I want to see out of out of Mitch. I want to see that he is sitting there and absolutely just not speeding things up too much. He's had, he's admitted that in the past and even during spring practice, it looked like like during the BMI game a little bit too. He really sometimes gets to these points where he's like, man, I'm on like 10,000 going like 10,000 miles an hour when everyone else is going 50, a hundred, 150. And it's not so much everyone else needs to speed up and say, Hey dude, you're the dude right now. It's okay. And it doesn't lead to him throwing interceptions or anything like that. It's just more of just, it kind of, he'll miss, he'll miss some throws definitely, but it's not a spiraling sort of thing. But that's what I want to see. I want to see that those jitters aren't, aren't there, you know, like I want, I want to, I want to see that he's in control. I want to see that this game is not too fast for him. And if he can show us that for all 12 seasons, you know, not have, I, I also be personally, I don't want to see a meltdown game. I know they're they're. I want to see what his, what his bad game is. Like, I, I think that's going to be a really interesting thing to say, Hey, like there are going to be some games that you're just not going to do well. in. what do those look like? Are they something where you throw, you know, three, four picks in a game and it's not really adding somebody. It's, it's just, I think that about Virginia Tech's quarterback right now, Grant Wells, what's going to happen when you like, Grant Wells, we know what happens when you have a bad game. It's really bad. I want to see what happens with Mitch. Like, what happens both during the game? What happens after the game? Like, is he going to be someone that during the game it just snowballs, and the next game is it going to snowball into that game, and he's just going to play bad, you know, and just feel it being that funk for a bit, or is he someone that's just going to it's going to roll off him? I think that's really important. So. And I think the ultimate, I think that's going to be the ultimate measure of success is can he handle that? If he does, great. I have been on record saying, I think this is a, this is a setup season for next year. I think whatever happens this year, we'll find whatever next year is the year that you are, you are in, you are in it. So. I mean, again, I'd like, I, I think if he gets to that eight, I think if he gets to seven wins, I'm like, cool, this is a success for you. I know you've been here for a bit, but this this is fine. The seven, make sure we keep the program afloat and we push all the chips in next year. How does Wake fare in the month of October against his three opponents? Oh, boy. So I'm going to be pretty on the – I've been pretty on the record saying I think Wake starts out 4-0. I don't want it to be it from like, oh no, like you that being that optimistic. Elon's gonna be bad. 
Vanderbilt's going to be a better team, but I want to see a lot more out of AJ Swan before I, they, I, Vanderbilt needs more talent. They had, we saw it last year when Wake honestly played, they played a pretty good game up front in, in the, up front in the secondary. They've, they've missed a lot of throws. They didn't run the ball pretty well. They didn't block that well. And yet, wait, kind of beat the heck out of them. And I think there's just a substantial talent difference still right now between Wake and Vanderbilt. And I know that Clark Lee, and I think he's a good coach, is trying to build that program up. But I think there is still a substantial talent difference. I know some Vandy people are going like, to point to the stars. Like, here's how the last few classes goes. Those guys need time to develop. They really do. Some of those guys are being thrown into the fire pretty quickly. And it's like, ah, what's going on here? I think this is not a situation where Wake blows them out. Not when I blows them out. I'd still probably bet Wake by like two touchdowns, probably. Old Dominion's probably not going to be a good team. They've lost a lot to the portal. Short attack, I think, will be a good team in two years. I think they'll be scrappy, but I don't think they'll be good this year. So I think it is it it is not really a hard thing to say, hey, Wake should start out 4-0. Then you get into October where you go to Clemson, to Virginia Tech, and you come home for homecoming against Pittsburgh and finish it out with Florida State at home. I think you can chalk the Clemson game up as a loss. I just don't see it right now, especially in Clemson. Maybe something else happens. Right now, I can I will put that in the loss category. I will put Virginia Tech in the win category. Right now, and this is I haven't messed with my numbers and like adjusted them to anything I think is better or worse, whatever. Just purely the numbers that I pull. Unbiased rating percentage right now. At home, I would have Wake Forest as a, where is this? I'd have Wake as as about two touchdown favorites right now against Virginia Tech. And I think personally, not, not think, a lot of the early stuff that comes out with power ratings and all the stuff that goes into it, a lot of it involves returning production. And Wake obviously loses Sam Hartman and A.T. Perry and Ryan Smenda and Kobe Turner and Ryan and, and Rondo Balkroy. Obviously, those are people you need to replace. I think they've replaced Sam Hartman pretty well. A.T., we've had this conversation about wide receivers the last like three or four years of what happens when Sage leaves? What happens when Scotty leaves? Like it, we, we had, what happens when Corey leaves? Like this has happened every year at Wake. And so I'm not, I'm fine with that. Oh, they also lost Quinn Cooley and they all, and Quinn and Chris Turner. I think running backs are very replaceable. Not Nothing bad with them. I think they're very replaceable. I think Christian Turner is going to be fine at Indiana. I don't know if he's going to start. It was a weird situation, but like, I don't know about Indiana. I don't really know why they're, they're going to be not a good team. I don't think either. I know people were really hurried about losing Cooley. I do think it speaks volumes for the fact that he was a productive member of a P5 team and went to an independent. Not that I think he's a, I don't think that means he's bad, but I think he might, I think there might be a little bit more overvaluing from fans versus actual production or actual, an actual future production. So, so yeah, I, I think Wake's a little undervalued in terms of, the early market stuff, but yeah, I would have Wake as essentially a two touchdown favorite against VT. And then Pittsburgh at home, I would have Pitt as a slight favorite, but I think that's a game Wake can win. 
I'm really interested on Pitt. I have never been a Phil Yurkovich fan. I thought he's just been the most overrated quarterback that's come to the ACC in the last few years. And I said that about Brennan Armstrong, and that might be might be right. But I have never been a fan of Yurkovich. I just don't think he has it. Never really been that impressed with watching him. And you're looking at a team in Pitt that's having to replace essentially their entire offensive line. Like I know Wick has replaced two guys. They're replacing four out of five and moving one of them to a different position. So, and it's not, and, I'll, and I'm pretty sure not moving into that position because he's better there. I think they're moving it because they're trying to figure out how to make things, how to make things work. So doing that, they lost a considerable amount of their defensive line. Like a lot of their stud defensive linemen and linebackers, Sarasi Dennis, uh, Habakkuk, they uh they lost Eric Hallett. They they've lost like a lot of a lot of production at Pitt. And so you're really hoping that, you know, and I think they also have new defensive coordinator as well. So you're really hoping like a new defense, hopeful that Yurkovich is better than what Slovis gave you last year. You're lo- you lost Izzy. Like you, you they really lost a good amount of stuff. So it's possible that Pitt won't be great next year. And then Florida State. The winners of the offseason. I think Florida State will be a very good team. It is really, really hard for me to figure out right now what was what was going on with them in 2022. Was it just the injuries? So if, if you don't remember what happened after last year, they opened season and won against LSU in a neutral site, beat Louisville, beat Boston, beat the Braves like Boston College, then lost three in a row to Wake. NC State, Clemson, and NC State was playing well and then lost a quarterback, but still beat them. Wake pretty much toyed with them most of that game. And Clemson toyed with them that game. Clemson completely took it. That was a, it ended up a six-point game. Everyone that's reviewed that film and has put out stuff about that, Clemson toyed with them. That that one was a blowout that Florida State tried to claw the way back in, similar to Wake. And then the, they beat Georgia Tech, who kind of who pretty much quit. Miami, who quit. Syracuse, who was hurt, Louisiana, who was not good, then a close game against Florida, who would basically quit at that point, and a close game against Oklahoma, who was just injured the entire year. So it's really hard to figure out, was that team last year a product of getting healthy at the right time? Because they definitely had injury concerns. and Or was it them actually playing worse competition? I think it's the latter, but if I had to bet right now, I am taking Wake Forest. And it's not from, and I know if that gets to a Florida State people, it's like, oh, of course, the Wake Forest guy is picking this dude. I mentioned this when I know that our Knowles 24 7 site, they do a really good job, X's and Knowles. They put out a video about, you know, how to beat Florida State. And when you look through it, they, they did one for Wake Forest. A lot of what Wake did in 2022 was pretty similar to what Wake did in 2021, which was pretty similar to what Wake did to Memphis in the Birmingham Bowl in 2018 with Jamie Newman. They, I, I honestly think Clawson has Norvell's number, and it's tough. Like it's really tough to like make to like say that, but he there he keeps running the same sort of stuff against them, and it keeps working. And Norvell keeps trying to throw different things at. Clawson and it'll work from time to time, but he can't fall to win from it. So it's really just an interesting thing to see. 
this dude just just can't figure it out for against him. And so, I mean, I think Florida State will rightfully be favored in that game, but I probably if you like, I think someone else asked me this a couple of mailbags ago. Out of like Florida State, out of Florida State, Clemson, Notre Dame, who would I pick the way to beat? Like, it's easily Florida State. I easily am picking that. I don't think they should be the favorite to win the ACC. I think that should be Clemson. Until you beat Clemson, Clemson should be the favorite. I have never understood that at all. Until you beat them, you are not allowed to be the favorite. <laughs> so I think for Wake going into this game, that stretch, obviously your mindset should be win every game. I think. One and three, you feel fine, but it's understandable depending on what the one and three is. If the one and three is you beat Virginia Tech, lost the Florida State pit, Clemson, you feel fine. Your team probably wasn't as good. You know what? Whatever that happens, wash your hands on it, move on. If a team's two and two and, and you beat Virginia Tech and Pitt or Virginia Tech and Florida State, cool, fine, whatever. Like I think two and two regardless should be where you're at. I think three and one, you feel great. He's like, cool. That means we won the co- we won a game that's kind of a coin flip, and we won a game we're definitely gonna we're gonna not be favored in. You you either you definitely beat Virginia Tech in that scenario. Pitt will be a coin flip game, and it's projecting like it right now. And then you won a game, you're gonna be a significant underdog in. So I think three and one would be ecstatic. Two and two, fine. One and three, eh, you're not happy, but it's it is what it is. Uh, actually, the one before that. Pretend you're Dave Clawson. What are the three things you prioritize during training camp, aside from the obvious of staying healthy? Number one, staying healthy. That is, it is, it is just so paramount to stay healthy. Like, it, it, I cannot tell you how many times I've heard of someone getting hurt in spring camp or summer workouts, and it being just it, it ruining a season. There's a reason I'm bending Iowa State's under right now. So. For this, I can kind of go different ways, and I'm going to blend the ways and make make it into this answer. One, I think that you have to absolutely figure out defensive tackle and corner. I think DT is more of a who's your sec, who's your two, three, and four. You can make sure you solidify that. At corner, who's your three, four, five on the outside? I think you're pretty set at corner in terms of your starters. It's Kalen Carson, Sean Jones, and your nickel is... Evan Slocum. And Evan Slocum was playing some great football down the stretch, by the way. I want to make that very clear. But Evan Slocum was playing great. I know sometimes in practice, he either was doing well or did not do not well. Like it was pretty up and down. Doing that against Kayshawn Williams and Taylor Marin, who are probably the best two slots in the ACC right now until we see what UNC has until Winston, until um, right from Florida State is fully healthy. We don't, I don't really know if he, I want to see what he looks like right now, but I don't think there's really that much of a contest of like, hey, like these these receivers are the best in the ACC. So I can see sometimes some, he just gets mossed. Sometimes he, he got to pick six. Sometimes he gets mossed. It happens. But I think the starters in the, in the in corner are good. I think you need to figure out three, four, five. That's why you brought in a guy like uh, Rankin from Notre Dame College. That's why you're pushing guys like Jamari Glasker and Andre Hodge and some Chris Stevenson. Antonio Robinson is going to be back from a pretty bad injury that caused him to miss the entire spring and some of the summer. Trayvon West is coming in as well. You have bodies who just need to figure out 
some guys it's got to grow, got to grow up right there. At DT, same sort of thing. You have Kevin Pointer, who is going to be one of your starters. And then secondly, you know, does Bryce Gagnas or Nick Helbig become one of those guys is going to be a starter. It's just a matter of who. And if both of them can be starter level, you feel great. You still need a guy like a Justin Williams or an Isaiah Cheney or one of the freshmen to give you at least some good snaps though. You can't go in there with three. If you have four, I feel fantastic, but you can't go in there with three. I think they have three right now. If Justin Williams or Cheney or one of the freshmen can give you anything, just anything, then I think you'll be fine. And I don't want to discount White Crespi too. He had, good, he had a good spring. I know he's a walk-on, but hey, sometimes you got to take it when you get it. So that's number one. Number two, you got to, you can't, everything can't be situational, but you got to get out, get off the field third down. You got to focus on that. They did, they did so well in being a really good run stopping team last year. They got people off schedule. They created havoc, did all these things super, super, super well. And then like third and long, they just couldn't, they just couldn't do it. And part of it is turnovers and, and they do emphasize forced turnovers. That's still kind of a luck based thing. There are times they would have guys just wrapped up and they would Houdini out of it. And it's like, that just can't happen. In the secondary, they'd be in position to make the play and wouldn't and couldn't make the play. And that, that can happen. It can happen from time to sometimes. You sometimes you get beat. There are definitely times I wouldn't rewatch the season a little bit ago. And there are definitely times where I saw a throw and I went, can't, can't do anything about that. Tip, tip or cap, whatever. But there are definitely times like you need you need to make a play on this ball. Like you just have to you have to make a play there. And it's a good throw, but you still have to make something happen. So that they've got to get off the field better on third down, third, especially third and longs. The last thing I would probably focus on, and I don't like I don't usually like singling people out. Donovan Green. Donovan Green is this is a money year for him. This is his money year. When watching the season back, I was astounded at how many just absolutely big-time catches Donovan Green made and just made them look obscenely easy. Where the problem came was the easy catches. Those were the ones he dropped. <laughs> Out of everything, the ones he dropped would be just a slant, would be a nice little slant route across the middle or an out route, and it's just like, how did you drop that? Like, those are like the Duke game. Those are the ones that I'm just like, how, like, like if, if he can lock those in, this dude takes this offense to a completely different level. Completely. It, this, this offense could score 60 points a game. This could be the, this could be the John Wall for 2017 offense. It is, you're just wondering like, oh, cool. Wake scoring 45, 50. Well, oh, I don't care. Let's go. That's, that's how I feel about that. If you can get if you can get two players, I think it's two players. I think if you get him more consistent, just just mentally locked in and something that the staff has brought up like in public before. So and he's brought up as well. So it's not like a revealing secrets. If you can get him locked in. And if you can get Demon Claiborne locked in pass protection-wise, full full speed ahead. Let's 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 get it. What have you heard about Nick Hellbake and Bryce Ganius? And so far, I mean, I I don't really pay that much attention to what I hear in terms of weight room stuff. Helbig is a really big weight room guy. I remember when I was trying to connect with him to interview him when he committed and he was like, Oh yeah, I've got to fit around my workout. Here's my workout schedule and all this stuff. Kid's a monster. I just want to see what he can do on the field. That's a, you just don't know. Guinness is bigger 
just I can I can see it. I've seen it in the pictures and TikToks, whatever. This dude's been this dude looks bigger, needs to get bigger, but we're gonna have to see what happens. I don't I like that guys get bigger and or I hear, oh, this guy's a freak in the weight room, this guy's a freak in the weight room. I want to see what happens when they get to fall camp. So who's a guy you see as in football that's kind of under the radar or not getting much attention that you see having a breakout year? I'm gonna cheat and pick three, and it's at each one of the levels of, of the defense, funny enough. BJ Williams, defensive end, that kid's gonna be a monster. I don't, he might have that Kendron Wayman year this year of like he flashes and you're like, wait, 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 who is that? That kid's gonna be a monster. He that he's going to wreck stuff. At linebacker, Quincy Bryant. Quincy got a lot of first team snaps this past spring because Jacob Roberts, the ANT transfer, needed to get in some better shape, which he which he did. I think he'll end up being the starter. But I think it might be a co-starter with him and Quincy, which is going to be really fun. Uh, Dylan Hazen was out for the spring. Draco was out for the spring. All but one of the uh, linebackers weren't early enrollees. So he he got a bulk of snaps, and he had a phenomenal spring. Love. They, they, re- they needed a big spring out of him, and they got it. And so he's someone that I don't know if we're talking about him enough. He's he is a solid, solid, solid guy. And then in the defensive secondary, Tamari Glasker, staff loves him. I love what I see out of him. He's got to put it together. But if he does put it together, that dude might be the best corner besides Caleb on this, on this team. Like this, that dude, like he's fluid. He's got the he's so his arms are down to his ankles essentially. He's fast. He's got all of the things. And it's just, if he, if one thing clicks during fall camp, this it's hard to keep him off the field. With programs like TCU doing their special speed training in the offseason, combined with the results, as Wake Forest staff change in the offseason training methods prepare for this upcoming football season. So I hate a lot of the coverage that happens in like the lead up to the CFP, whether it's just the, the, the top four or championship game in general. Everyone does special speed training. Everyone does special this, special that. And everyone keeps it secret until they make it big. Because they don't, it's, and it's not like the Wake Forest pitching lab sort of secret. It's like, it, it's like a thing of, oh yeah, everyone just, everyone runs things just different ways. And it's one of those things that I'm sure Wake is changing something up. They change, they and other people change stuff up every year just to try to figure out what's going on. But I, I don't, I don't necessarily like, okay, well this example worked because this year TCU might win six games. A lot of that, a lot of what goes into that isn't just special stuff that happens in the off season. It's not like if there was this magic trick, it would, it would be out there by now. A lot of the stuff is a getting lucky. I mean, TCU won a lot of like, and I, I don't want to just pick on TCU, but I knew that they're a good example of, they won a lot of really close games. They were an experienced team. So, which one plays to the other usually. But the fact that they were an experienced team, there are a lot of times it's just the development cycle and you have to take advantage of the development cycle. I think Baylor is a really, really good example of that where when Aranda first came in, they won, what, 12? They won 12 games his second year? Yeah, in the COVID, they were awful. But in, a, in his second year, he went 12 and two, went to won the Sugar Bowl, and everyone was like, this dude's automatically one of the best teams and were ranked really, really high in the AP poll last year. 
and finished six and seven because they lost a lot of talent and people didn't really realize people like using the one year sample sizes of stuff. And I don't like one year sample sizes because I just, I don't, I don't think they work. So I know they don't work. That's just not like, that's why you use larger samples. And so I think trying to say like, well, this team did something. And so this team should do this or this team should do that. It's really hard unless there's just more data. Wake, I know Wake does a bunch of special speed training and a bunch of other training. It's a lot of, a lot of it is luck and making sure you and just make sure you stay healthy at a certain point. I'd like to hear some thoughts on QB3. Are we still functional if we were to somehow get there injury-wise? So I also talked about QB3 in the QB primer that I put out on, I believe that was Friday. I hope that Charlie Gilliam is ready at the end of ball camp. But as I also said in that article, at pretty much every position, really every position, Across the entire country, if you get to your your actual third string is the one that's starting, not saying, oh, no, we can dip down and like get and give them some snaps. Like, no, this is your person that you're starting. A coach is terrified, absolutely terrified. People are going to point. So, you know, Wake had technically three quarterbacks last year and NC State won a couple of games with the third string anomalies. Those are anomalies. That is not what usually happens. And it's not just the portal season. It's just in general with third strings or third strings for a reason. They're not really getting snaps when it comes to the actual season. They're usually your scout team. So it's if you're getting down to a third string, I think safety, for example, is really, really packed right now. I think Wake could probably go around two and a half deep. But if they get down to their three, their third string, which is probably Devon Patterson, someone that I'm really, really high on, and Christian Masterson, those are your, if those are their starters, they're they're not they're not they're scared, and it's not indicative of them being bad players. It's just they're not ready right now to be full time starters, and that's okay. That's perfectly fine. But getting down to third string is always just not fun for anyone. I don't know how much you were you know about Clawson or Forbes contract specifically. Obviously, we were we and the public aren't told. And I assume even if you know more than us, you're not allowed to tell us. So let's just say hypothetically that Coach Clawson leads the Orange to the Wake Bowl, the Orange Bowl this upcoming season, or Coach Forbes leads the top 25 team that it makes it at least to the Sweet 16. In such scenarios, would you expect either to get further contract extensions and or pay raises so soon at the previous ones? I would not expect like extensions. I would expect a possible possible pay raises. I mean, it'd be hard to give them an immediate pay raise. Well, it'd be hard to give those specific people immediate pay raises. But so just a peek behind the veil here, a lot of times when you see an extension, especially if it's right after someone just got a big extension, like a long extension, it's usually not a pay bump for them. It's usually a pay bump for their assistants. Um, I think a lot of stuff is rightfully put on the head coach of like, yeah, they're like, they're doing all this stuff. A lot of times people are told, hey, even if I'm getting paid, I want a bigger assistant pool, but uh, assistant pool money so that way i can keep the guys who are helping running the ship running right i want to be able to keep them because i think one of the things people don't really factor in is a lot of times when you see like a team in football or basketball doing very well we point straight to the head coach and obviously they should get a lot of credit a lot of schools are like hey that assistant that's been on the coach that's been on the on the bench for a few years I mean, he's been he's been recruiting well. He's been he's part of the top twenty five team that made the Orange Bowl or made the 
or made a Sweet 16 in Elite Eight, might be time to call them up. People, people don't want to lose their assistance. And so they, you know, hey, you'll see this extension, which, which hilariously could be like for a month or two. That's how funny it could be. Like the, you could be, you can announce an extension and it could be for like an extra six months on their contract, but just more money in terms of like the, uh, the pool money or just to the head coach in general. So I could see them doing it just to, just to give more money. I mean, if you're close and give more money to guys like Brad Lambert, like I, I think, I mean, obviously the, I think the offensive side of the ball definitely got a, a bump, but I think the way things are going recruiting wise, I think a guy like James Adams could be, and, and just play wise, guys like James, James Adams could be in, in line for a raise, Glenn Spencer, Dave Cohen, Brett Lambert. You know, if the line, if the linemen, offensive linemen are, are doing well, tobacco as well, you know, there, I think there are people in line for, for raises on that, on that staff. And same with, you know, a guy like BJ McKee or Jason Shea or Matt, or Matt Whitley. Like there are people that could be in line for raises. And so if things go well, sure, yeah, give them, Make make that assessment pool a lot bigger. Do you see Clawson and Forbes snatched up by another program, or do you see them finishing their careers at Wake? So this is a question that's kind of feels like a landmine to me. I snap call, I see Clawson finishing his career at Wake. I think just the stage of the career that he's in, family stuff. Where is he going to go? I know Northwestern is seemingly about to open up because of what's going on with Pat Fitzgerald up there. His name's going to be thrown into that. He's not going to Northwestern. Let's just, let's, let's, let's stop that. It's, let's, I know people will be like, oh no, is he going to go there? It's never been a school I've been worried about and it's not a school I'm going to be worried about. And I, I would bet a lot, lot, lot of money on that. So, but you'll hear his name be brought up. Don't worry. Yeah, with a guy that calls in, and especially because he's been there for 10 years, my five years coming up this year, he's been there forever. And so, you know, he's been through a lot of different, his name's been thrown around so much. And it's one of those things that, well, like, I know he's gone through this before. He, I think he finishes career here. Forbes, I am on the side that he does. It's just the fact that he's been here less time. And so... He's someone that I can definitely see at his stage, at that stage of his career, where someone like, I don't know, a Louisville or I don't know, Marquette or Iowa, just a team like that fires their, ends up firing their coach somehow and, or their coach leaves and they decide to throw the bag at Steve, who, you know, make his coming off of Sweet 16 or Elite Eight or something like that. I'm not saying he'd leave. I'm saying there's just not enough experience we've had with him at Wake to know what's going to happen there. I think he wants to stay and have heard he wants to stay here as long as possible. Like, and whether that's fit in that, and as long as possible means finishing his career here. Like, I think it's a great, I think Wake Forest basketball is a pretty good job for anyone who actually wants to do a good job here. I think you have solid safety. I think you play in a great conference. You can recruit well. So I think he, I think there are a lot of incentives for someone to stay, but it's the thing of, I would like to see more, I would like to see more years of going through the coaching carousel to say, Hey, you know, we've been through this route before let's do it. So before we dive into the basketballs, let's hear a word from our sponsors. 
on May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. Visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. So this question kind of, so there's a question about Andy Jaff, who is a recent Wake Forest football decommit, and Nick Jones, who is, and I'm going to bring up his bio just so I don't get it wrong and people don't yell at me. He doesn't yell at me. Uh, he is the 16U uh, head coach for Team Curry, uh, AAU team. He's also the Myers Park assistant boys coach. And if you don't think about Myers Park, that is the high school where, primary, where priority target Bishop Boswell is attending. So just peeling the curtain back in recruiting, there are players and then there are major players in the sense of Andy Jaffs. What happened here? When you have major players, I think that those people are usually an immediate family member or guardian. They are their direct head coach, their direct 77 coach. They're eight, if you're if you're an A team, they're probably their their 18U or seven or 17 or 18 new head coach. And maybe, maybe, maybe like a handler if they're just really, really that close or that into the NIL game. But Wake doesn't really deal with those a lot. So you're really only dealing with like a handful of people that would be that would be called major players besides the recruit and the staff. With Jeff, there was definitely, it was definitely known to myself and others that there were some major players involved with him that wanted to enjoy the recruiting process a little more. I think Jeff committed a little bit too early, and that happens. People, that happens to people all the time. Sometimes they stay, sometimes they don't, whatever. But I think there was one, there was just a situation that certain parties wanted to go through the process a little more. And a certain three letter acronym kept coming up and kept coming up and kept coming up and not so much a specific number or a specific anything. Like, I, I don't think this was something that a bag was dropped. This is a situation where I think someone was look a, a major player or two were looking for a bit more opportunities for Andy and really liked the process a lot more. And that was very much understood by the staff. And like, you know, there's sometimes you got to deal with that. It happens. And you go from there and, you know, Andy made the decision on, made it, made the decision. And you're not going to catch me saying a bad word about Andy. I think, I think the world of the kid, 
was was always great talking to me was super super he's a super good player i was gonna go down and watch him at clearwater but he's a he's a super talented guy there's a reason why Notre Dame was checking in on home was checking in on him like he he's a good player like he's gonna succeed he's gonna probably succeed wherever he goes it's just a matter of hey man you got to make sure to it's not a him thing it's just major players sometimes get into the weeds of things and it it has happened with a lot of recruits there's there are definitely some that come to mind right now where they get in the weeds of things and sometimes it works out for the best and sometimes it doesn't and i hope it works out for the best that's that's kind of all i'm allowed to say on that (laughs) with bishop boswell and nick jones so there has been some some sort of like so with Nick, let's do a little, little background on him. He is someone that very much likes to promote his players, which go for. He is he's he will go to the wall, go to he will go to the mat for his players. And I respect the hell out of that. He is he is really, really down for his players. He wants to support them, make sure they're getting, you know, to where they want to go and where they want to be and where they should be. And I really appreciate that. I think more coaches should be like that. That being said. He is not a major player in recruitments, and especially not in the recruitment of Bishop. He's someone that I know does love the recruiting process, but it's something where it's like I he he talks a lot about people that are talking that talking to like his players, and it's like, well, you're the assistant coach, but not necessarily your players. You're you know, they're, they're players on the team that you'd be a, you're the assistant coach at, or they're 16, so they're really trying to get their feet wet in the recruiting process. Let's put it this way. I don't think a coach would have to sit here and go through Nick Jones to get Bishop Oswell. I don't, I don't think that conversation would ever have to happen. So... And I know there's been some anti this school, that school, whatever sentiment. Yeah, like it is what it is. He's not going to have a fact. He's not going to factor in this recruitment. I, I, I don't. That's a, that's about it. I know there there have been subtweets here and there. Whatever, it won't make a difference. So, if if he becomes a major player in this or any other recruitments that's fine but right now i am not treating him like one i'm treating him like he is who he is and i and i hope he continues to do what he does and from there so that's kind of the yeah that's those are things that are kind of landmines because you never want to i don't want to denigrate anybody i don't think anyone's necessarily done anything that's very malicious or anything like that or like i don't want this to be a gotcha sort of thing where someone flips anything but it's just more of that's just the places people are in right now that is that is where where you are who you are that's it so back to the recruiting part of things there's bishop boswell and there is a, another target brooks bar it might be bear i might i actually don't know how to pronounce his last name i'm gonna call him brooks just to just go from there so don't want to ask if Brooks is more of a take than Bishop Boswell. What's going on here? Boswell is the number one target on the board. He is coming in for an official visit to Wake Forest. I believe the first week in August is actually August 2nd. So it would actually be really kind of cool if he jumps in to 
football practice. He's a former wide receiver, so I'm sure they could, they can use him out there. Once that happens with Bishop, I think there's going to be a clock. And I think once the clock clock ticks and ticks and ticks, and if the clock strikes zero, then I think there's going to be a larger push on the Brooks. But Brooks is, and I don't think it's a downgrade. I don't think they're necessarily saying, oh no, like, you know, we're, we're doing less dragger. Brooks is, Brooks has been absolutely just killing the, the live period. He has, he jumped up from, I think, 215 in the rankings to just outside 100. I know at the Under Armour next finals, he was someone that people kept looking at him or just like, this dude, this dude is good. He's, he's a huge guard. I think he's in line for another rings, but I think he, if he ends up ready, basically the same as Boswell, I wouldn't be shocked at all. So, but I think the staff sees them as pretty close, but just because there's just been a longer standing relationship with Bishop. And, you know, I think that recruitment is coming closer and closer to an end that right now I think he's the focus of this. And I know someone else asked about this in a different thread, but I was going to put it in the mailbag because I thought it was an interesting question. There is a scenario where both of them are on board. So Brooks is a member of the Latter-day Saints. He is a Mormon, which means he has been very much entertaining the idea of taking a mission. And I don't want this to be like, this is this is just, this is a 0.1% scenario. So don't sit here and think that people are trying to plot and, and figure things out. But this is just a plausible scenario. He, he is able to go on a mission for two years, which means that even if he does sign, he doesn't necessarily, I don't think he, I don't think he specifically signs a letter of intent. It's just like a letter of saying, Hey, this is, you're going to come back to wake in two years and no one else can really talk to you that much. Well, I don't think at all, but your scholarship does not count until you come back to campus in two years. So for a team that's with the roster crunch right now, theoretically, you could have two guys filled in and then you're good from there. It's possibility. We'll see that's that that the can is going to get kicked so far down the road on this right now. We have no idea if it's taking a mission yet. Just blowing it out there. But it's something that I know he's gone on the record and said that he's talked about the possibility of wanting to take one. And I know just from dealing with football recruiting, I Utah is weirdly like my third school that I like rooting for. And they deal with that situation a lot. So it's always interesting to see what happens there. So, yeah. Why did it wake? Seem to fill their transfer spot with Abramo so quickly after Bobby's departure instead of keeping their options open. Does the staff think he's a real deal or were they in a rush to avoid a situation like they had with Jake having no replacement? So I don't think they were stuck with when Jake said no, when Jake didn't say no, when Jake stayed in the draft. I mean, they have been working on targets the entire time. But they're, the one thing about the staff is just because nothing is out there in the open doesn't mean that they're not working on finding another replacement. I, they, they obviously didn't want to have an open scholarship, but and they they were they were working. And funny enough, Abramo was the person that they were trying to get in last year. It got down on the wire, and I know it took a little while for him to get clear by the NCAA because he, I think, played for a team that needed that needed clearance, and so they have they are very 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 familiar with Abramo and they do think he's the real deal. Like, I think he's, I think he's going to be a factor on this team. And they, when they got in the portal, they were like, well, you know, Hey, we might be losing Bobby. We wanted this kit last year. Anyways, 
fill them up. And also at that point in the year, it's not, there's not really a lot of players that are going to help you. Like they're just, they're just really aren't, which is I've, I have, I can go on a tirade of why, of, of why the calendar needs to change because it sets people up for failure. But when you're at the point of the draft deadline, you are really scrounging for peanuts of hoping someone gets fired and their kids going in the portal because they're at that point, no one's jumping in. Like, I think there's going to be another, a little small way people jumping in after summer school, but Sash, I've heard there's people jumping in, not from wake, but in general, but you're not banking on that. Like there's, there's just no one available at that point. So I think it was a, yeah, we need to, we want to jump on someone. So we don't have to go through the international market again, but they also knew that Abramo was going to get pounced on by some other people as well. And the, the, what I heard when he entered the portal was it was maybe an hour after he jumped in the portal was just like Forbes is already all over this kid. Like he is not letting him go anywhere else. So they, they are very sold on him. So there was a question about if uh, they hadn't gotten Bramo, the scholarship was still open after Bobby pulled his name out of the draft. If he'd been able to come back to an open scholarly way, would he have done it? He would have to done it by the deadline. And so that's the thing is like, if he had pulled out of the deadline, pulled out before the deadline, he absolutely would have come back to Wake. But since he didn't pull out till afterwards, I mean, there's nowhere he could have gone. But yes, if he had pulled out before and that scholarship is still open, that is Bobby. Bobby comes back. We ride off in the sunset. Good as new. What's the latest on F10 Reese waiver? Any inside info? Man, look, the NCAA sucks. <laughs> what else do you? What else do you want out of that? From a serious standpoint, I think he has a very good case. I'm not expecting to hear about that until August uh, at, at the earliest. I will. The NCAA seems to be absolutely just dragging their feet with stuff like this. I don't think it's stretched. I, I've seen people be like, oh, let's stretch to November. I don't think it's stretched out to November. Again, I, I mentioned this on, on the boards. This is going to get ugly. And not just after reads. These two-time transfer stuff is going to get ugly because they're going to admit you know, a handful of people with the whole mental illness thing, which that's someone who, you know, has struggled with that, whatever. I don't take it lightly. But they're going to, they're going to sit there and admit a couple of people and be like, cool, you guys get a green flag. And people are going to sit there and sue because there's no actual definition of what's going on here. Are you going to tell someone that you're, you're not doctors at all? You're a bunch of suits. Are you going to sit here and tell someone you weren't too depressed to get a second waiver, but that guy was? And like, and their situations are essentially the same thing, and there, there's no discernible difference between them. Like, it, there is, there are lawsuits waiting to happen, and I have been told there are there are lawyers on standby. Not, I, I mean, we've heard that Forbes put it on the record that he has like, you know a group of lawyers, you know, willing to work with Efton to make sure that his case is as strong as possible through the NCAA. But I have heard that there are people ready to just go after this because it the instant way set themselves up for failure in this one. Any update on how Damari's progressing? He's progressing fine. I think he's still on track to be ready for the season. Any other injuries? I and mean, there's bumps and bruises, but not, no one's out for a while. At least that I've heard from the last couple of days. That was Jao, Marion, and that Keller looks so far. Jao looks better than last year, but he's got he's got a ways to go. That's about as long as I can say it. He he's looked better, but we've still got another month before we even get back to school. So let's go from there. 
Keller looks better. He's moving a lot better. I think having Afton Reed in front of him, it's going to help, but I'm also a, I'm also interested to see what happens with the Reed waiver and, and they're pushing him a lot, but I think if Reed does get his waiver, it takes a little bit off the pressure to put on him. If that, if that makes sense. I think if Reed isn't able to play, then obviously you kind of ramp things up. They're like, okay, we need you to play now, but if Reed's able to go, then I think, you know, the development still, he's still developing. Marcus Marion, I mean, he's been there for what a week. He looks and is playing stronger than Bobby did at that stage. He's more physically developed. He just needs to play more physical. Like he and that's something he need. He admitted he's like, I need to play more. I need to be more physical, and he's recognizing it. But he's only been here for a month, so it's not really fair for me to say anything, say anything at that point. I I just know he's more physically developed. That's that's about what I can get from that. Last question. Am I crazy in thinking this may be the first basketball season in quite a while where it's going to be really difficult to get down to a rotation of just eight or nine guys, especially if Reed's waiver transfer? Yeah, I think it's going to be a little hard because if I look at the roster right now, Cam's definitely playing, Carr's playing, Monsanto, Abramo, Boopy, Efton, Salas at seven. So with seven guys, and then you probably factor in a guy like Marcus Marion is probably playing just from a from that standpoint. If Parker gets bigger, there's a role for him. I think there's a role for him, but I don't, but it's just it's freshman. I always hate projecting freshmen. And I'm sure he'll get some early minutes and people get really excited about it, but I don't think that extends into, I don't know if that extends into ACC play just yet. And then your Keller and your Mar- yeah, Marsh, yeah, Marsh plays, Marsh plays. So I think you can get the nine and then it's a pass then. I think, I think you're, I think you are pretty set on eight to on nine. And then you have a bunch of guys that are right there. Like I think a Keller is right there. I think a guy like, Parker is right there. I think even Aaron, I think even Aaron Clark, especially if he can be a ball, a nice ball handler is right there. So I think it can be hard, but I think if right now I'm, I'm sticking with cam if I just right now, cam. Yes. Carr. Yes. Damari. Yes. Matthew Marsh. Yes. Abramo. Yes. Boopy. Yes. Afton. Yes. Hunter. Yes. And I will say Marcus Marion, yes. So that 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 is like I I eight, I'm like pretty spot on with, and I think Marion is that next guy, and that's why I thought I'm like nine, okay, cool. And then you have your group of Keller and Parker and Aaron Park for that that make ten. So I think it's not. I don't think it's hard. I think it, in about a month it can be. So I know there's a lot of hope, but I think in about a month it can be harder. All right. That'll wrap it up for me. Thank you guys so, so, so much for listening to this. Have a lot of fun doing these. Have a lot of fun just working with you guys. And as always, go Deeks.